This is Loose Leaf, a multi-author podcast journal where we talk about goals, the ups and downs of writing, and where we try to warn you off of our greatest pitfalls. Make sure you like our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Loose Leaf Podcast. Well, welcome back to Loose Leaf Podcast. I'm really excited to have Andrew Davey here with us today. He is a writer, and we're going to let uh, him tell us a little bit about what he writes here in a minute. But I wanted to take a moment and introduce him from his bio, from his website. It says he's originally from New York, and his short stories deal with existential, I can never say that word, just so you know, themes in speculative fiction, and he also writes hard-boiled novellas in the crime genre. So I'm really excited to kind of uh, hear more about that. I love sci-fi, uh, well, I guess speculative. I think you'll tell us a little bit more which avenue you go down with that. And then the part that makes me the most nervous is he also has a podcast, A Fistful, A Faceful. And that deals, uh, kind of delves into the history, development, and dark heart of heavy metal music, which I think is awesome. So uh, we'll make sure we have links to your podcast, your Facebook page, uh, your author page, everything at, in our notes. Well, Andrew, what do you want us to know about you? Uh, well, um, I think we could probably work backwards. That might be the easiest way. So um the most recent thing I have coming out is a, a memoir that I wrote about, um, the, I guess, my life over the last 10 years or so. Uh, three years ago, I had a ruptured brain aneurysm. So so most of the memoir deals with recovering from that. Um, and I broke it up into two sections. There's tragedy, which would be the aneurysm. And then comedy would be, uh, I, I examine a lot of my jobs, like when I was a teacher or working in different fields. And um, my various online dating adventures. So, <laughs> so yeah. So it it it. So that's that's sort of a um, doing doing nonfiction was sort of a new uh, thing for me. Um, mostly, it's like you've mentioned speculative short stories. A lot of really pop culture heavy stuff. So, like the I'm working on something right now, which is uh, if Back to the the film Back to the Future had been directed by like Martin Scorsese, what, what might that have looked like? Um, so things, you know, things along those lines. Uh, I, I, I did delve a little bit more into straight science fiction with um, somebody having to build a wall to pay off a debt. Um, and you never really find out what, what the debt is or, or, you know, and then it slowly reveals who the, how the characters are interconnected with each other. And then, yeah, the, the, I think I had always been interested in crime fiction, but I didn't really think I had the, the, what it took to, to do it. Um, and then I read a book by Jonathan Ames, who historically wasn't a crime writer. Um, he wrote mostly nonfiction comedy pieces. And he wrote a book called You Were Never Really Here that uh, was made into a movie of the same name with Joaquin Phoenix. And that reading that was sort of a revelation where I realized, you know, well, if this guy can do it, I can probably do it. And I, I had, you know, I had the desire for a while and that was sort of the, uh, the catalyst to push me forward. Um, so yeah, then, you know, recently it's been mostly writing, uh, writing crime fiction novellas. Um, I tend to be more of a short form person 
And, uh, and then, yeah, then the memoirs will be the most recent thing that'll be released uh, on the 29th. Okay. And what's the name of that again? That's called Land of Illusions with an A, because uh, I, I make a ton of pop culture references to sort of explain, uh, you know, it, it, it has been easier to use movie scenes to try to explain kind of what I've been feeling emotionally or physically with the recovery. So I tend to, you know, throw out a lot of things like um, on the last page, I think I referenced the Shawshank Redemption um, a couple of times. There, there are really obscure films that I mentioned, but I try to give it context and uh, more of the well-known films. I don't think I really need to delve into as much. Right. That's a, and you said June 29th. Yeah, that'll be out June 29th. Um, okay. And then, you know, and then I've got, there are links to all of my work on my website so people can find. And there are a lot. I was really impressed when I was like, wow, there's a lot of. Yeah, well, the within the last year, I found a great website called The Daily Drunk, which publishes very, you know, like every day. And uh, I've become somewhat friendly with the editor who said that I could send him material, you know, every week. And I sort of made it my mission to kind of send him an essay. It's very short. It's only like 800 words. So I have a ton of uh, unused material of, you know, I, I actually taught in Asia for two years. So that alone, you know, living in Hong Kong and living in Macau, uh, there were a lot of experiences that were very funny. So most of the, you know, there's a lot of work, but, you know, I would say half of it's probably from the last year and a half of just these little essays. Um, That's amazing. I, I do remember that from reading your bio on your webpage that you're also an educator. So that's exciting. It's it's like, uh, I think most of us writers, we have all these little avenues that we're interested in and it really helps us with our writing. Definitely, yeah. I, I, uh, I draw a lot of inspiration from, um, you know, not so much on the crime, stuff that's mostly that's almost all fabricated but uh but certainly a lot of the speculative stories especially in the beginning the main character was very much similar to myself and the adventures they would get into would be things that were uh you know experiential but um but yeah I think being you know being a teacher was was I mean I haven't been in the classroom for a while uh with with the aneurysm and with COVID but I, I am looking back, looking forward to getting back into it at some point or perhaps getting into tutoring. So that'll be uh, that'll definitely be a wealth of um, story ideas moving forward. So you said the aneurysm was about three years ago. Yeah, it was it was actually June 29th uh, of 2018. So that's why I wanted to release it uh, the then because I figured it would be a good um yeah. A good date. But yeah, it was three years ago. I was um I was going to visit my folks uh and I was about to board a plane. I was at the air th so thankfully I was at the airport. Right. And, and not um, on the plane. Before I got it, yeah, and I, I collapsed on the jetway. Um oh, so luckily, you know, first responders got there immediately and I got taken to the hospital. Um and that was the you know, the interesting thing writing the memoir and and sort of re-examining those scenes how much of it was funny in retrospect now that enough time has gone by. Yeah. So it was interesting. A lot of the, a lot of the things in the comedy section 
could be viewed as tragic. Um, and a lot of the tragedy turned out to be really funny. Um, I was, you know, there was a, a, about a three week period. I don't have any memory of, but, uh, I was told that at one point my, my family had, had flown up to, to be with me in the hospital. And I told them that we needed to leave because an assassin was going to come kill everyone. And, and my mother, who is very quick thinking, said, don't worry, the assassin called and I spoke to them on the phone and I canceled the hit. So, so we're going to be fine. And I, <laughs> I said, OK, great. You know, so stuff like that at the time, probably not so funny. But now, you know, I look back on it and I laugh. So the, the memoir is filled with those sort of anecdotes. And yeah. uh, what a blessing, though, that in such a scary trying thing you can look back now and instead of feeling all the anguish and pain that you probably went through could see that humor sure well well the um i opened the book with a quotation from steve allen who uh who said comedy is just tragedy plus time and that that really became you know the touchstone that i would use writing the whole thing uh so it's yeah so that i mean that was that's going to be a unique piece because it's it's very much just you know my life on on the page but uh but i try to still incorporate that theme you know in most of my work just trying to keep things in perspective so steve allen i'm gonna to have to look that one up he he had i I've never what he was the tonight show host i think before johnny carson so this is a long time i mean i i've never watched him but uh, I wanted to to be able to attribute the quotation to somebody. Yeah. So I looked it up. Who? And I think that they probably paraphrased the original quote. But yeah. I'm taking little notes here myself. I yeah. love that. <laughs> oh my goodness! I just that just fascinates me. Um, and so you were probably just I like I I don't have any realm of reference for what it's like to recover. From a brain aneurysm is it kind of like a stroke where you have to relearn yeah. a lot of things or yeah it was i think what was what's been interesting is that i think i'm probably in you know the 99th percentile in terms of uh the physical recovery going as well as it could um there was a while where i had to walk with a cane and i had uh, double vision so i wore an eye patch um so the, but those sorts of things eventually healed very quickly. Uh, and what actually took a really long time was the emotional recovery. Um, you know, that was, that was really more of a challenge. Uh, and I think there were a lot of expectations I had about how the recovery would go, um, that were never, you know, they were never met. So I just sort of gave up on trying to think, okay, well, this should probably happen quickly, or this will be easy, or this will be difficult. Um, but yeah, it's very similar to a stroke. I did, uh, uh, physical therapy for a while and occupational therapy. And, um, actually one of the interesting things was my abstract thinking was gone. Uh, so I would do these handouts that were, you know, I would imagine they were similar to handouts I would give my students when I was teaching middle school and you would have to infer information. And I remember those were really difficult. And then one day it all just sort of came back. I remember thinking, okay, I can, it was like, um, I think in the book I mentioned, it was sort of like being at the wizard school in Harry Potter 
and having a spell cast on you and just all of a sudden it coming back. For some reason, I'm sitting there going, it was like COVID of the brain. So you've got a test run <laughs> instead of losing your taste, you lost your Yeah, time. well, it, it, was, it was interesting because when COVID did hit, I thought, okay, I've gone from a very personal recovery that only I can really understand to a universal recovery that everyone is going through the same thing. So it was a very, it was a very strange, as soon as I sort of felt comfortable recovering from the aneurysm and kind of beginning to build my life back up, uh, I had just gotten a job tutoring that got, you know, that got canceled, you know, but it was, I had, it was like, like you said, it was a test run. I was sort of prepared except for the, except for toilet paper (laughs) being difficult to find everything else I had sort of um, been through in in a different way. Yeah. (laughs) It's really too bad that your memoir wasn't available at the beginning that everybody could have gone, okay, now I know how to handle this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, my, I mean, my, my, my goal, my hope and right, you know, one of the things that really helped me uh, was knowing that I wasn't going through something that was unique to me, that I wasn't alone. And that that's really the, the hope that I get from this memoir. You know, people will probably not have the same symptoms or, or they might be going through different things, but the goal is that they'll read this and think, oh, okay, this is similar. So, and, and he made it through. Yeah. I, I just think that's, that's wonderful that you were brave enough to put that into a memoir to share it for that reason, because I think like you said, like that was part of, of this podcast for me was I wanted to connect with people and go, hey, especially other writers, you're not as weird as you think you are. <laughs> There's a lot of us that have these same mental processes that drive us to write and create. And for you to be able to share that, I think is wonderful because I think at the core, our emotional experiences are the same, even though they come about from different experiences. Absolutely. And I, I, one of my favorite quotations was from a, a writer, David Foster Wallace, who said, good writing makes people feel less alone. And I remember thinking, okay, that's, that's what really we should be doing without, you know, with everything, if it's fiction or nonfiction or art, any art in general. Um, but, and I sort of tried to bring that into the classroom with my students you know, ra- rather than make sure they understood what a gerund was or how to conjugate verbs, I thought, okay, let me see if I can make a place where a 13-year-old to an eight, you know, a 16-year-old isn't going to feel like an outcast. Um, you know, they let, let the math teacher teach them, you know, terms that they need to memorize, but I'll just be there as a, as a source of support. So... That was it. That that ended up working out well. Okay, so that kind of takes us to the question: How did you get into writing to begin with? Uh, I think when I was growing up, I watched a lot of movies, and when I got to high school, I had initially thought that I would try to be a screenwriter. That was my, and when I was growing up, I was friendly with somebody whose father uh, was a screenwriter, and I just remember sort of being captivated by what he was doing. Um, And I think I began just trying to write scripts mostly, uh, which continued when I was in college, I was a theater major. So then I sort of got into playwriting 
Uh, and then when I got out, uh, I worked a bunch of jobs um, after graduation. I think I, I was a recruiter for software programmers for a little while. I worked in theater for a little while. I worked in finance. Um, but it was always so that I could attempt to write something. And then when in 2008, the subprime mortgage crisis hit when I was working in finance. So it was really difficult to keep working there. And I remember thinking, I should probably go to graduate school because I felt like I had the drive to write. I just didn't have the technique yet. And I thought going back to school, I could probably take some workshops and really sort of learn. Um, and that's uh, where I was also introduced to being a teacher. So it kind of, it all worked out. And then that's sort of where I became more fascinated with writing short stories when I was in school. And then I just sort of pivoted and, uh, and decided to move in that direction. But I think, you know, wanting to write had always been there ever since I was a kid, just want, you know, watching movies and being captivated by, you know, what the writer was doing, how they could come up with all these great things. What do you, what is it about short stories that really draws you to that? I mean, for me, those are so hard because I get very wordy. So it's hard to, you know, I have a lot of respect for people that can do a really good short story because you have to be concise. Every word has to, you know, really hold that impact. So what about it draws you in? Well, I, I think initially it was more of just a practical choice because it was easier to get criticism with a shorter piece than to, than to hand in a novel excerpt. So it started out, when I went to school, I thought, okay, I'm going to write novels and you know, that's what I'm going to work on. And then very quickly it was sort of like, yeah, but it's difficult you know, for people to remember, am I on part seven of your novel or part six? Rather, I, I figured I could just give you a four-page short story um, that has everything there. And then I think just naturally, I began to enjoy the format. There, I felt like there was a lot more you could do with a short story. I mean, it's different. Yeah. You know, writing a book versus writing a short story, you get different things from it. But I just remember thinking there were a lot of, uh, maybe not rules, but there was a lot more to explore in what constituted a short story. It didn't necessarily have to have, you know, all of the sort of rising and falling actions, the climax, it could just be flash fiction. Um, it could just be a scene. And I just remember that sort of allowed me at the time to explore a lot of the, the subject matter that I was really interested in. Um, I think I wrote a, uh, the first thing I ever got published was called the Leprechaun Violence Conjecture. And it was, uh, it was like a retelling of Faust, but it was a recent college graduate who is offered the chance to write the script for the fifth Leprechaun movie. And he sort of thinks of it as a slap in the face because he's so full of idealism. And then you chart his growth over the next 15 years. And by the end of it, he would kill someone to have written the fifth Leprechaun movie. So. You know, the short a short story would allow for me to sort of explore really different themes and you know things within that. Whereas I feel like that wouldn't necessarily work as a book. Um, so there, you know, there were just little 
I think for, for what I had attempt wanted to do, uh, it was the perfect medium. Um, and that's, and I've just stayed with it because I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed what, you know, it's, it's not as time consuming. I can still tackle the subjects I want and, uh, and it ended up working out. That's wonderful. I think, um, my thought was you probably have to have a theme every time you go into a short story or are you just telling something for the fun of it? Because it seems like, I mean, that's a problem I suffer with with my writing. Sometimes I don't know what the theme is until I'm finished with it. <laughs> and I go, oh, I guess that's what I was trying to work out in my brain. But it seems like a short story you would need to know ahead of time. Sometimes, I mean, I think I remember my first year in school, one of my professors says, think about a story as a character existing in a place over time. And if you go into it like that, th- if that's the starting point, it can go in any direction. It doesn't necessarily have to have a theme. Um, and that was that was really that was the thing. I think the especially the first year that I was in school, uh, as opposed to a lot of the other students who had taken undergraduate writing classes or things like that, I was sort of soaking everything in, and then that became. If I thought about it that way. I didn't really have to worry so much about trying to achieve goals. It could sort of, the character could lead me in any direction I wanted. Um, And then over time, you know, the more you do it, you sort of develop uh, best practices and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, okay. That's cool. Cause that is how I write my novels. My characters are totally at the helm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Which is great. Which means it takes me a long time sometimes, but, but it's fun. I like it that way. Yeah, that I mean, that's the the there was a while I think where I had lost focus on enjoying the process being the most important thing, and uh, that was something. Especially when I would teach writing, I would always say, you know, don't focus so much on getting published or who's going to read your work. Enjoy creating these characters and putting them in situations, and then you can never lose. Yeah, and that that is so true, and I do think that's the best advice. For any writer because I, I know I found that same place and I, I, I'm willing to bet most of us hit that spot where we become more worried about is anybody going to read this am I going to be able to make money am I going to be able to get it you know published traditionally or if I do it indie is it you know but I totally agree that's that's super great advice yeah that was you know I think I think everyone goes through that at some point um, you know and some people have an easier time with it. Some people have a more difficult time, but that was always at the forefront of what I would try to tell, you know, people who wanted, who were serious about, you know, most of my students at the, at the middle school or high school level weren't as serious about it. So it wasn't as much of a problem, but uh, the college students were much more serious. Okay. So um, what's the weirdest thing you've ever done or researched in the name of your writing? Like if we were to look at your web browser or did you ever try anything in person to see if it would work? Okay, so thank, well, let me start with, with a funny story based similar. So I have a friend of mine who uh, used to write for the TV show Key and Peel, um, which was a sketch comedy show and I think he had thought of a sketch that involved nuclear weapons. So he started, uh, he started researching, you know, the, the various components 
And then he thought to himself, what if the NSA is looking at my computer right now? So he actually wrote into Google, I'm a comedy writer. This is for a sketch and hit, you know, just, just in case. But um, thankfully for me, uh, I have my brother as a doctor. So if I write scenes that take place in a hospital or anything like that, I, I um, can get his advice. He can sort of vet it for me. I think the first book that I wrote, Pavement, um, deals with uh, my two characters protecting uh, prostitutes that work out of a truck stop. So I think researching truck stop prostitutes would probably be the strangest thing. Um, <laughs> Yeah. That, yeah, that that would definitely be, I, I mean, a, lo a lot of what I've gleaned from just every, you know, the, the books I've read, the movies that I've watched, um, documentaries, things like that will provide, I feel like I don't necessarily need to research further than that, that most people don't have uh, uh, an understanding, you know, unle unless a drug kingpin is reading my book, they're not going to say, hey, this is not how cocaine distribution works. Um, <laughs> and if but they I do, they're not going to give you a bad uh, right. review and call you on it. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm going to get a strongly worded Goodreads review telling me that, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to, to dealing narcotics. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I felt like my brother... Uh, there was a, you know, there was a scene where I said, I'm thinking of having this, you know, the bad guy sneak into the hospital. And I had this elaborate way where he would, you know, take a janitor, he would go into the locker room and take a janitor's coat and push a cart around. And my brother said, just have him go in through the front, you know, HIPAA laws prevent you from being recorded. Um, and I, you know, I thought, okay, it's less romantic than what I had in mind, but I'd rather it be more factual that, you know, and, and not have people put the book down because, you know, this guy's trying to sneak into a hospital. So that that's been helpful having, having him to be able, and, and, you know, he'll, um, he'll give me some great lines that I've worked in over time. Like I remember uh, he told me once, uh, I guess he was working at the VA hospital and he said that a lot of people would uh, would get, you know, they, they sell like over the counter drugs at like the gas station. So he said, don't, you know, don't get your drugs from the from the gas station or the guy who hangs out at the gas station. And I remember that was such a great I was like, I've got to find a way to work that. So he's been wonderful in terms of uh, telling me, you know, okay, this machine wouldn't be in this room, or that's not how that machine works. Mm -hmm. And also giving me gems, like, um, don't buy drugs from the gas station or the guy who hangs out at the gas station. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I think that would be good advice for, for writers as well, to use the resources around oh, the people you know. Definitely. I mean, if it, if it comes to, uh, you know, if, if you know somebody who's in the medical profession or a lawyer or an engineer or anyone, feel free to, to ask them questions, yeah. but also pick up, you know, pick up phrases that people say. Um, it, it just lends credibility to your writing. That's so cool. I know um, I have a good friend. Actually, she's one of my beta readers, but her husband is a police officer. So I was shooting her a text the other day. I said, hey, here's my situation. How would this be handled? And he 
texted back and I was like, okay, so for this book, I think I'll be, uh, I'll be doing that a lot because I don't, you know, there's no understanding sure. for me in that area. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've found so far that most of the subject matter that I have, that I know nothing about, um, virtually very few people have experience with it. So I've been able to get away with it. Um, I think if you're going to talk about any crime or anything like that, that it, that is sort of that people would know about or like proce police procedure, I think that's probably good to have somebody you can go to. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I don't want to base it off of TV because so many times TV, you know, sure. other people would connect to TV because that's what they think it's like too. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but that no, that sounds like a good. You have a good resource. I would say definitely use it. Yeah. Well, I'd like to know more about your podcast. Tell us about your podcast and how you got into that because that seems you know you've got your writing short stories and now you've got your heavy metal podcast, which I find sure. fascinating. Yeah, it's <laughs> I'm it's a lot of uh, especially with the way I, you know I I remember. I took my uh, brother, when my brother graduated from high school, I took him to an Iron Maiden Motorhead and Dio concert at Madison Square Garden. And he and I looked like we should be on a Dockers ad amongst, <laughs> amongst a sea of, you know, leather jackets and jean jackets and mohawks and long hair. And I remember thinking, okay, I look so out of place here. This isn't really you know, most people wouldn't think that this is my scene and, you know, hearing about a heavy metal podcast, it doesn't really suit the rest of the narrative. But, um, when I was in Hong Kong, I shared an office with a very nice meek British gentleman who, uh, listened mostly to Britpop. Um, and at the time I was listening to a podcast called Analyze Fish, P-H-I-S-H about the band Fish. Um, which was done by these two very funny comedians. And the whole point of the show was to, con one of the, the guy who liked Fish would try to convince the other guy that he should start listening to the band. Yeah. And right. I thought, wow, that's such a wonderful premise. Let me do that with heavy metal and my friend Martin, who I share an office with. So that was the genesis of the show. It was just a way to kind of pass the time and hang out with Martin. And the first year, the show was just sort of examining the history of the music and showcasing really famous bands to try and convince Martin that he should leave the Britpop genre behind. <laughs> um, and then when the pandemic hit, uh, after I left Hong Kong, I did, I had a revolving door of guests, mostly other teachers who were kind enough to be, uh, to be guests on the show. Um, and then the pandemic hit and I spoke with a marketing person who said that if, um, that he would be interested in, in showcasing contemporary bands on the show so that I could interview them or play their music. So recently it's become more of a contemporary thing where I just play, uh, music from bands that I find on YouTube or that people refer to me or who ask to be interviewed. Um, so it's, it's changed since its inception back in 2013, but, um, but I love that. I love that music. So it's just a fun sort of, and it, it helps to keep me and get, you know, now that, 
the the pandemic is still you know the quarantining is st- almost done yeah but we're we're still and and since I wasn't teaching I sort of figured I needed something that I could do every day to stay engaged and uh and it's it's helped all this everything has sort of helped with the recovery and keeping me level-headed so yeah um so yeah focus on sure my my mother has been kind enough to uh to be a guest once or twice um she doesn't necessarily like the music and my favorite line of hers is she says this sounds like the nintendo game metroid uh because i guess she she has flashbacks of that that i used to play when i was younger um (laughs) but uh but yeah it's just you know it's just uh it's just fun yeah it's just a fun so yeah i try to do the show as often as possible now um really to kind of support bands who haven't been able to play or uh, or to try to get their music out yeah and um so yeah just newer unknown bands yeah mostly new i i i'll look on social media um you know for bands that maybe only have a couple of hundred followers uh, I'll go on YouTube. There are a lot of uh, channels on YouTube where people will will play entire albums uh, to try and to try and get these bands noticed. Um, and I'll just sort of try to do my part. That's really cool. That's really cool. So you're supporting creative people everywhere in different ways. And I love that you kind of touched on the evolution of your podcast because I think even as writers, I'm sure your writing has evolved as well as you've learned and grown and as your interests change. And um, I think sometimes we pigeonhole ourselves and think I have to do this, but if we do, and if we become static, then everything's going to fall apart. So I love that you, you talked about that growth and progression that we, we all have to embrace and really find a way to enjoy. Yes. I think adaptation has really helped with, uh, with everything, with writing, with doing the podcast, with, um, you know, just being able to kind of navigate through things, uh, has been really helpful in all, in all sort of areas. Yeah. I mean, you probably, you know, 2008 never thought you would write a memoir at all. And and here you go. (laughs) No, I mean, it's, and it's, I, so many things have led to other things like, um, the podcast, led to me helping out on a Facebook group that does live streaming for bands. And uh, we're about to release our first compilation this Friday. Oh, fun. So I, I always tell um, Heather is the, the, my colleague that I run the, the Facebook. And I always say to her, if you would have told me two years ago that I would have been an admin in a Facebook group and we'd be about to releasing a compilation, um, of bands that we've showcased. So it's all, I, I try to say yes to everything now. Um, you know, I always look at, at, at as everything is an opportunity yeah. and you can either let it pass you by or you can jump on it. So tell us the name of that Facebook group. So the, the Facebook group is called happy hour with Heather and guest. And, uh, yeah, so there's a bunch of really great archived, interviews and and live stream performances and we have more bands coming up and we're going to release a compilation on Bandcamp this Friday. So yeah, I mean, you know, I think as with everybody, I you know, I I think it was Joe Walsh of the Eagles once said 
as you're going through your life, it's this chaotic mess. But when you look back at it, it's this neatly arranged straight line. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I, trying to keep that sort of in perspective, um, you know, just being open to everything and trying to do as much as I possibly can. I love that. I love that. And it's so opposite of what I was thinking before COVID. Before COVID, I was in the mindset of this is my year of no. I need to start saying no so that I can concentrate on this. And, you know, then COVID hit. So it was easy to say no because nobody's asking you for anything. And I found that I missed being in that involved in everything. So I, I, I just love your perspective on it and kind of your positive attitude of go ahead and say yes and try it because it could lead you somewhere you never planned to go, but it's going to be right where you need to be. So I really appreciate you sharing that because I think we, we need to remember that. Yeah, that I remember I had a friend in Hong Kong who once said to me, uh, the things you want are not necessarily the things you need. (laughs) And that, yeah, I mean, so, so it's profound things that I'll either get from movies or friends or, or what have you. But, um, but yeah, they've all, they've all tended to put me in a good place. So I'll, I'll just keep, keep living it that way for now. And we'll see what happens next. What, like you've given us some great advice for writers. Um, is there anything else you would like to add to that other than just make sure you're focused on enjoying the process and not worried so much about the whole publishing and who's reading it? What, what else, like with the process, like, um, since you said you went to grad school, was that for writing specifically? Uh, because I know a lot of us, we don't have any educational background other than we just jumped in feet first. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that any of this is necessary. I think for me personally, I benefited a lot from going to school for writing so that I could, you know, take classes with people and sort of learn. Um, I, I wouldn't say that that's for everyone. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who I don't think need that. One thing I would say is I think a lot of people feel like they need a routine, like a very specific routine. And I would, I would say, think of the writing process sort of like a physical activity or a sport and that you're training so that you can adapt to any situation. Um, you know, obviously you want to write when you're inspired. Uh, but sometimes that's a little difficult. So you sort of want to create an environment where inspiration can hit you all the time. And that may mean being able to write at your desk with music on, with no music, at a coffee shop. You sort of want to be able to create a situation where inspiration can just hit no matter what the circumstances are. So that, that would be the other important thing I would say. Um, you know, that I would get asked that when I was teaching, I would have a dedicated day. Saturday would be my day to write. Um, because I just, I'd be either exhausted or I'd have papers to grade. And, um, and then after I stopped teaching, I could spread it out because I didn't have as many obligations. Um, so I think over time you'll sort of learn what works and what doesn't work. Uh, you know, every so often you'll see one of these top 10 lists about, you know, Stephen King writes 5,000 words a day and an- another writer only writes at 4 a.m. And, and, you know, only drinks two cups of coffee. 
And you'll want to try those. And I definitely think you should try those. But if they don't work for you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang your head in shame. Um, you know, over time, you'll figure out what works. And I think trying to carve out the biggest, you know, swath of possibilities of what will work is the best thing to do. I love that because um, I haven't had a chance to meet with my co-host for a couple of months now. Life is kind of busy for everybody, but Kale is kind of our, he's our new writer. He's not finished a complete story. And his big concern is, you know, he has a full-time job. He has a young family. He just had a new baby in the last month. And so for him, his goal is if he can get 500 words in a week, he feels like that's a win because of where he's at right now. And and I really appreciate that, that you're saying, you know, what works for one person may not work for someone else. And I loved that you mentioned you only wrote on Saturdays for a while, because if you want to write, you're going to find what works for you, you know, and you may have to try a couple of things, but it's okay to just write one day a week and not be hammering at it every day. And I know I've had lots of different schedules over the last 10 years myself, and sometimes different things work. And sometimes I have to change what I've been doing because it stops working. So I, I love that you brought that up because it is so uniquely different to each of us at different times in our life. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a, it's a living, breathing process that I think needs to change uh, in order to stay fresh. Otherwise it just becomes a job or a chore. Um, so yeah, just if you feel discouraged because something's not working, then try something new and uh, you'll eventually find what works. Yeah. Like I know I have gone from my computer to pulling out a notebook and a pen. <laughs> Sometimes mm -hmm. that's all it takes. <laughs> sure. I'm trying to think of if there's anything else you've, you've given us so many great things uh, to think about. And I'm really excited that your memoir is coming out this month on the 29th. And like I said, I'll make sure we have links. Where can, where can they find that? Is it on Amazon or other places? Yeah, it'll be it'll be on Amazon, um, and then it'll be on my website. Uh, the link to Amazon will be on my website as well, which is just uh, Andrew Andrew Davy.com. Yeah. So, do you have any plans for doing that on audiobook as well? Uh, not at this point. I'm sort of. Um, I think it'll come out in Kindle and paperback, and that's sort of as far as I've thought for now. Um, Possibly, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, you know, I, I I have had one story I think come out uh, as an audio story, which was done as the I think the anthology that it was in decided to do that. Um, so I, I I mean it's it, it, this would be a great opportunity. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see. It, I, I, I've been considering it um, sort of off and on. I hadn't really thought about it for a while, but, uh, but I'm glad you brought it up because I will, I will remember to add it to my list of things to do. M many of my students that I, I, the last school that I taught at was for students with learning disabilities and, and ADHD. So many of them had dyslexia and they only could have audiobooks. Uh, plus I've gotten into them I would listen to books on tape on the walk to and from school when I would go home. So I've certainly, I, I've certainly become a fan, but um, yeah, I will. And you know what? I will credit you uh, if the, if I do end up 
producing an audiobook, I will definitely thank you in the acknowledgments for giving me the reminder that that's that's what I should do. You don't have to do that at all, but uh, it's it it could be really fun. That'll be a that'll be a new experience for you to go through and definitely experience. Because I I guess part of the why I asked it was I've always wondered if you had a memoir, would it be worth trying to record? yourself and and I just because I go back and forth on that I don't think I could ever record any of my books because I just I'm not I don't have a theater background but you do so. I I don't know yeah I mean I I don't know if I would do the reading yeah. um I may you know I I actually have an ex-girlfriend who's mentioned in the memoir who does uh, audio recordings for books okay. um she was an actress and that she sort of got into that as a I think that's her her main gig now, but I could sort of ask her and see if she could recommend somebody or at least point me in the right direction. Well, I'll just throw out there. We interviewed uh, Benjamin Fife, and he is a hoot. He was so much fun to interview, and I've listened to two of his audiobooks, and he just he brought the books to life and made them very enjoyable. So I'll, I'll cool. shoot well, you his information if you. Yeah, ever please, please. That would be great. <laughs> so wonderful. Well, um, I guess that's, if you don't have anything else you want to add, we can, we can. No, that, that was, this has been really enjoyable. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we are so glad I keep saying we, because I'm so used to Hillary and Kale being with me that it's still a we, but I'm really grateful that you were here today. I'm grateful for all of your experiences that have brought you to where you are today, that you were able to share with us kind of um your thoughts and your feelings on writing and how we do get to keep growing and progressing and changing and i'm excited for the land of illusions coming out on june 29th and i wish you the best of luck with everything thank you yes and thank you again so much for having me well you are more than welcome so we like to end with our little phrase for all of our writers where we like to say keep writing or start writing. Okay. Well, either keep writing if you're already doing it or start writing if you're not. 